listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructive Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 12th episode of Even Odds Podcast. I'm your New Year's baby host, Mason, and I'm joined by Papa Trey. How you doing, Trey? I'm doing great. Happy to be here for the Dirty Dozen. That's right, baby. It's a new year, new podcast. <laughs> All in on Slay the Spire. <laughs> no, starting Keyforge only yeah, right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. Keyforge only, Slay the Spire is our end, of course. Uh, no, but you know, jokes aside, we're going to be doing a pretty interesting episode today where we're talking about perception and just the way not only we view ourselves, but games of magic in general. And just that kind of cool stuff, and it's something that's kind of fun to talk about in this kind of lull period of magic, and we're excited to talk about it. Yeah, and I'm going to be doing some sleight of hand tricks in the middle of the podcast, you're going to want to get really close to your device when that <laughs> happens to see if you can see how I do it. Yeah, that's right, and uh, you know, tweet at us the answer to what Trey was doing, and we'll send you some cards. Uh, so, remember, at Even Odds Pod on Twitter. Uh, but first, we have a pretty exciting sponsor, so Trey, do you want to read our sponsor? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Iced Coffee. That's right, iced coffee. When you want a milkshake, but it's the morning. Iced coffee. Sugar, sugar, cream, make every day a dream. Iced coffee. I like iced coffee. <laughs> I know that you do. <laughs> I was excited to have that sponsor. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Uh, all right, but let's hop right into the episode because, you know, this one's important. Trey, what do we, when we talk about perception, do we mean the things that we see with our eyes? What are we talking about when we talk about this episode today? Well, I, I think it's... When we're looking at trying to discover the truth of a situation or how the way that we approach things, the way the preconceived notions and the way that we talk about or the way that we uh, approach those things can influence and affect the outcome or the truth of whatever it is that we're looking at. And I know that sounds like really broad, esoteric stuff and not necessarily magic related, but like that applies in your life. It also applies in magic. You know, like a real, a real kind of uh, silly example, you know, that you could have is just like when you're bringing negativity to a game right before the beginning, right? If you're behind in a race or, or you're, you know, you're losing and you're trying to come back and you're like, oh, my opponent was just at a million life and there's nothing I can do about it. And it's like, well, they're not. They're at 20 and you were at like five and that's a lot. But like that, it, it's not so insurmountable. And like that amount of hyperbole that you put in it can like create this problem where you're now not looking for a solution because you feel like you're so far out of it that you don't know what it is that you're going to do. Yes, I agree 100%. And it shows the way in which you view your, not only the game state, but your role in the game and your position, right? Where it seems like, like I think it's like an insurmountable hill, right? right? It's like, well, if, you, if they're at actual a million, that is unbeatable, right? right? Like in most games, you're just not going to win. But in reality, it's like 20 isn't undoable. We do it every game. Right. Someone gets to zero almost every game. So like... You know, these are things that are happening. And when you, I guess the best way to say this is like when you're framing yourself as like an unwinnable situation, that has a negative effect on your gameplay. Yeah, because I think what you do is you stop looking for answers. Like you stop looking for a way to win. You stop looking for a solution because you've already decided by like that kind of approach and that kind of perception that it's unwinnable, that it's not achievable. And so you're just grinding out the last miserable moments that you have in that game, but you're not actively looking to try to find a way to get out of it. Yeah, you're also like, and this isn't for everyone, but some people are like kind of wallowing in it, right? And they're like, I could never win. Th- that kind of mentality and stuff puts you in a position where you never will win, right? Because you're like, you're not looking for like the lines where like you're out to beat them, right? right? 
So I can give a kind of an example of this, where I was playing against uh, my friend Tommy in Battlebox, right? And I made a bad attack that actually left me dead on board. So instead of playing this enchantment that I had that didn't really do anything, I left my creature, I left all my mana up like, that I had left, and then I passed the turn. And then at the beginning of his combat, I used Alluring Siren to make his best creature attack me. And that was like, why would Mason do this? I'm dead if he does this. But he had to attack with one if he attacks all out. So Tommy made a, Tommy found a way to play around what I was doing, right? And he didn't give up. He didn't just think, oh, Mason has an answer that's going to beat me. I can't win, mm-hmm. right? Instead, he found a way to beat me even if I had an answer. Right. Which is like a completely different thing than if it was just like, well, Mason would never make a play that just leaves him dead. I can't win. I'll just attack with this. Right. Exactly. But, so. but even that, the flip side of it, like let's mm-hmm. take it from your side of it, is that you're dead. You made a mistake. You can see already that you're dead on board, but you still have an out. Your out is to make a play that gives your opponent an opportunity to mess it up. Yeah. Right? And so even in that situation, once you realize it was over, you're still playing to win. You're still trying to find a way to win as opposed to just being like uh, beating yourself up by the fact that you made a mistake. Yeah, that's true. I, I, didn't, I actually didn't even think about it from that perspective. I thought of it from his. But yeah, that's true. I, I guess I technically did do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, and that's a thing. And that's a thing that when you when you try to approach things with a positive aspect, you start to do those things instinctually. And you're not even actively thinking of it in the moment. But like you're playing, okay, this is the only out I have left, is that if he makes a mistake, and I can try to force that mistake by taking this action. And, you know, and that happens. And you can get into those situations even where it's complicated. You'd be like, okay, my opponent has to make three misplays over the next four turns or I'm going to lose. And and that's the only line I have because I'm so far behind. Mm-hmm. But these are the plays that I have to make in order for that to have been successful. So I'm going to make the plays in that order and see what happens. And then they make that first bit misplay and you get giddy. You get excited yeah. because you're like, all right, you know, we're on the path of, of possibly getting there. Um, but if you start to automatically just think that, like, I'm lost, or it's impossible, or I don't have anything else, then you're not going to try to work to see those small lines that you could take to try to pull yourself out of it. I 100% agree with that. And I think one last thing on this point, we're going to move on to the next part of perception, because there's a lot of little things we're going to talk about along these lines. But you'll see at the Pro Tour sometimes, you'll see like Seth Mansfield or Siggy or someone, they like put their hands in their head, right? And they like look down, and it's like very clear that they like, they're pretty sure they've lost, but they're not like going, ugh. I've lost, right? They're like, okay, I'm like 0-1% to win this game. I got to figure out what the 0-1% is. And so they're like trying to figure that out. And like they're definitely frustrated and stuff like that, but they're not letting that control them and give up, right? And that's the difference between like the moments we get, we talked about, I think last episode, maybe the one before where like Ken Yukihiro finds, no, sorry. Oh, uh, Yuya Watanabe. Yuya Watanabe finds yeah. like the insane line to like get himself out of a game and he knew what he was looking for, right? right. And like that sort of thing versus like, Oh, you gave up, and then afterwards your friend's like, dude, you could have cast Tormenting Voice and maybe hit something to, like, win the game. Right. And that that those kind of different things, even if it's, like, small, are the world. Right, and that's the point. It's not just a strategy thing, and, and that's the whole thing about perception, right? This is allowing your view of things and your emotional state impact your ability to make decisions. Because it's like you are capable of making those decisions and seeing those lines, but you're allowing your emotions or your perceptions to cloud that ability and to not let you play to your greatest strengths and to play to the ability that you have. And it's like finding a way to control those things or shift your perception in those games is the thing that starts getting you to that next level. Yeah, well, your perception, you know, and this kind of moves in what we're going to talk about here, but your perception does affect your emotion, right? Sure. And, you know, I kind of was going to segue that later, but I think it's probably good to mention it now, maybe if some people aren't kind of seeing the, the, uh, the nugget at the end of the road here, right? And the thing is that, like, if you look at the game in a positive way and you look to playing to win all this stuff – 
you won't get angry and upset and all those kind of things. Well, you, you will get that way less often, right? Because, like, everyone gets angry and upset and these kind of things happen. You're human. But if you perceive things, you're always trying to look towards the positive. And you're always trying to look to Allison way to win. And you're trying to be optimistic. And you like being the underdog, which is something we're talking about here in a second. Those kind of things really do affect you in magic. Mm-hmm. The next thing I kind of want to talk about was, like, this is, like, I have, like, a bunch of quotes. And we're going to kind of build off those quotes. But I have the, oh, God, I have to play against you. Or the, I have to play this matchup. And I want to mm-hmm. talk about the use thing specifically. Because this is something that, for me, I've always liked. And it has, I've noticed some of the people and it affects them negatively, right? For me, it's like, oh, I get to play against Marcio Cavallo this round. It's like, I get to play against Marcio. This is my chance. And other people are like, I, like, so like someone else might like, I had to play against Marcio last round. Right. And they like come to me and they say that, and I get mad every time. I'm like, I wish I played against Marcio last round. Right. You know, it's like this huge different thing, and I think that happens not even on like GPs and Magic Fests and all that kind of stuff. You know, pouring out for the GP, but on a local level too, I, I see it happen to people. Where like, oh, I had to play against this guy. You know, it's right. like the local ringer or whatever, right? And they're like, well, I got paired against you know Ellison, right? Like. I made a nonverbal thing there, but like you all know what I mean. They just they just kind of do something like you know. I got paired against them, and it's like what? Okay, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Allison's a boss, but yeah, <laughs> it's not invincible. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I, I had that. I've seen that happen so many times with someone. I'm like, how'd the round go? And like played against so and so, and it's like that was the round report. Right. And it's like okay, so, yeah, because, <laughs> and that's the whole thing. And so that yeah. uh, what you're dancing around is that. You say that after a round as if the result was inevitable before it started. Exactly. And the result was inevitable before it started because you believed that result was inevitable before it started. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds strange, but it's true. Like, if I sit down across from somebody and they say, oh, great, I have to play you, I won already. Yeah. Before it starts. Because they're not, they're going to be playing in a way that's scared or they're going to be playing in a way that's not correct. And they're already playing to the fact that they know they're going to lose. And that happens with pros all the time. That happens with big-name people all the time. They, that intimidation factor is huge. And that's not just magic-specific. That's in all kinds of scenarios. If you go into any kind of situation thinking that you are the one who's going to lose before it starts, and your opponent knows that, you're in a bad place. I mean, it's the reason that dynasties happen in sports. Like, you know, to use a, a football example. for Patriots. A fo- the Patriots, exactly. When people play against the Patriots, they're like, the Patriots are going to win. And when the Patriots play a game, they go, the Patriots are going to win. And what happens most of the time is the Patriots win because they know that. And that, like, intimidation factor is something that plays into it. That that creates a real problem, right? Like, if you go into it with that mindset, you're not playing your best because you already think you're going to lose before it starts. And so one of the things I kind of want to talk about there, and I was kind of – I want to work this in with trying to reframe your perception, Trey. So, like, let's say you're someone who does think that way, right? Like, let's say we're talking and they're like, you're describing me right now, mm-hmm. right? What's one way that someone can kind of work on that in specifically this context of playing someone? So there's one thing that you can do is like, you know, you can think about it on an individual like game of magic. And there are all of these sports cliches and sayings of things like, you know, on any given Sunday, any team can win or anything like that. Or, you know, let's say you have somebody like you're playing against like a Seth Manfield or you're playing against, you know, Brad Nelson. And you're like, you know, if we play 10 times, they're going to beat me nine times. Yeah. Right. But Right now, this game that we're playing is that one time they're not going to beat me. Mm-hmm. Like, statistically, if we played a bunch, they're going to beat me more than I beat them. But they're not going to beat me right now. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, like, if you can have that kind of mindset, like, you're still acknowledging that there might be a skill discrepancy. You're still, you're not, like, delusional about what's going on. But so what? It's just one game. And whatever their statistical advantage is over the long time doesn't really matter for this one game. 
And so, like, viewing things as opposed to viewing it in a macro sense, which is weird because it's a thing that we generally talk about as being good in Magic, right? Not getting too obsessed over, like, one game or one anything else can actually help you in this type of a scenario, which is viewing things on a smaller scale. Like, okay, well, they might beat me if we played a bunch of times. We're not going to play a bunch of times. We're going to play this time. And this time I'm going to win. Yeah. I I think kind of going to what you're saying... um, in Magic, like you talked about, right, like it's good to look at things over the big picture, right? Because Magic's a game of variance and all these things. And that's why people like Seth Mansfield, like Brad Nelson, like LSV get those like notoriety and they get popular, right? Right. It's because they're so good and they win so much over all those times. Right. Right. But I can tell you, I've beaten people who are much better than me in Magic. Right. And games weren't particularly close and some were really close. And the difference like in, in the game when it matters is that you're trying your best to win. Right. right, you're trying to actually beat them, and it doesn't really matter that like if we had to play for our lives, right, a best of ten, Seth Mansfield's going to win most likely, and I'm going to die. What matters is that you play the best you can in that moment, and you do all that you can do, mm-hmm. right? And doesn't honestly, on one level, it doesn't even matter if you win or you lose. Like I think part of the thing that comes with it is like the wanting to win, and I haven't talked to you about this. So I'm curious to get your opinion. Mm-hmm. Is like if you want to win really badly, then when you're going up and you get paired against Seth Mansfield, it's like, how am I going to top eight this GP now? I just got paired against Seth Mansfield. It's like, I've hit this roadblock type thing. And it cares even more. Where, like, if your goal is to play and to learn, right, and your perception right. is, like, winning doesn't matter, getting better matters, and if I keep getting better, I'll win, right, as, like, a byproduct of that, then your perception changes even more so on it, right? Because now you're not viewing the tournament as, like, a I went to Magic Fest uh, Memphis because I want to qualify for the Pro Tour. With the, the mythical thing, whatever. It's like, no, you went to Magical Fest Memphis in order to get better at magic and have a good time with your friends, right? And to slowly improving it better over time. And that means when you get paired against Seth Mansfield, you're not like, you know, big shout to Seth Mansfield, CC Network. Keep using him. But, huh? Man, Manfield. Manfield. I, I get, I'm sorry, Seth. Okay. I get your name wrong every time. Sorry, Manfield. Manfield. I, we got, I got corrected about that a bunch. But yeah, but when you get paired against Manfield, uh, it becomes a moment where it's like, oh, this is great. I get to test this thing, right? right. And I'm, I'm describing kind of my perception on things. And I wouldn't do that if I didn't think it was healthy and helpful for the people. Because I've seen other people do it and be helpful for them. Right. So I think that is like, I think to remember is like, the winning doesn't really even matter. Right? Well, I, I, think that, I think that it's that if you have winning as your goal, mm-hmm. it's weird. Like if the only thing that matters is winning, then you're going to win less than if your only goal is like getting better and learning. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to win more, which, exactly. is, which is weird, just by shifting that perspective. And it's like a subtle thing, but like it does have a big impact. It's like, like you said, like then you see those things as opportunities and not challenges. And when you see those things as opportunities and not challenges, then you approach them in a way that leaves you much more open and accessible as to like you playing your best game mm-hmm. in those scenarios than you would otherwise. I would argue. I would. I wouldn't argue. Sorry. I would say it's opportunity and a challenge, not that it's not one or the other. Right. Because to me, I see. And this is also like a thing where what I'm saying and what me and Trey are saying right now are things that we think are to be true. But a lot of that is perceived from our own stuff. So you have to kind of know who you are as a person. But me as a person, when I'm the underdog and I'm told I can't do something, it motivates me to do it, right? Like the reason I'm learning Amulet Titan is I don't like being told I can't play a deck. Like that deck's too hard for you. And it's like, no, that deck's not too hard for me. Watch me drop $200 and learn it. You know what I mean? It's like a weird thing where it's like, but regardless, like those kind of things motivate you. So like, motivating yourself and making sure you frame things in a way that you know will work with you is important too. Right. So Yeah, because I mean that's definitely a thing that you and I have in common. We're definitely people that like if you want me to do something, tell me I can't do it. And then I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Especially if it's something you care about, right? Right. 
So, yeah, I think that's super big. And then the next, like, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of it, but let's kind of circle back around as a matchup. So I think a matchup's even crazier than a, a game, right? Because a game, when you're playing against someone like Seth Manfield. There you go. Hall of Famer. Uh, Manfield. Manfield's <laughs> his evil brother. He's uh, <laughs> got a goatee and everything. Yeah, jokes aside, uh, you know, <clears throat> when Seth Manfield, you sit down, it's like, I can kind of see how some people might feel they aren't good enough. And it becomes like an inferiority thing, right? Right. And like that plays into it even more. But when it's Dex, that even plays into it even more so. Like, like people, for some reason, give up even quicker, right? Like if you play Burn versus Soul Sisters right. type thing. It's easier from a psychological standpoint to understand the problems that come up and the, the like the immediate ability to jump to that when you're playing against a person. And you have that type of inferiority feeling like as a result of a person. Because we all have insecurities in one way or another in our lives or in other things, you know, outside of magic before we got to there. And like this can kind of play into that or prey on that. But when you're talking about a matchup, it's like it's weird because then you're ignoring the the person element of it as well, right? Like it might be a bad matchup, but like your opponent might make mistakes. They might not have had experience with the matchup because something that I've noticed a lot that happens is if there's something that people think is statistically a bad matchup and everyone agrees it's a bad matchup and they've got limited playtesting time, what do they do? They don't bother playtesting that matchup because that's their good matchup. Mm-hmm. And so they might have things that they don't know or don't do that and the advantages they could have had they playtested the matchup more. They don't have that advantage. And so the, all of the statistics and everything don't really matter that much because they downplayed the, their need to prepare for that matchup because that's their good matchup. And so if you go in with a defeatist attitude already on that, you're just playing into that. Yeah. You, and I think there's an example that I can give just in the last three days with Arena. So I started climbing with Mono White, right? And I lost my first game to Mono Red pretty brutally. And I was like, God, Chain World is so hard to beat. It beats half my deck. Right? And I realized, I was like, well, what can I do to try and figure out if they have Chain Warrior or not? How can I make this matchup better? And I realized I can attack my Haunted Witness into a Vashina Pyromancer, right? And if I have multiple 1-1s, they're probably going to want to trade, right? Because then that way Goblin Chain Warrior clears my board up and I can't convoke something on the next turn. Like an elephant, right? Right. But if they don't trade, right, that probably means that they don't have the Goblin. Because they don't want to get 1 for 0, essentially. Right, yeah, because it's a bad combat for them otherwise. Exactly. Like, you're putting them in a situation to make a bad block, quote-unquote. But it's a good block if they have Chain Whirler as a follow-up. Exactly. And so that way I know, like, okay, I should play this instead of this. Right. right? Like, I could play Dauntless Bodyguard or I could play a Dantos Vanguard, right? And it's like, well, Dauntless Bodyguard might be good in another situation, but I can play a Dantos Vanguard and play around Chain Whirler in a way, right? And pay for life to hold some board presence. Right. So things like that, there are little things you can do, right? You can play History of an Ally over 3-1 drops, for example. Right. Just little things. So, and I think with matchups... You also need to be looking at ways to win them. And that's why I bring up that matchup specifically and look sure. at what you can do, right? Because let's say, for example, Tron versus KCI. That's a matchup where I've heard multiple times Tron is super disfavored, right? Like, they have to have the, the pieces that matter. And KCI is so consistent at doing what it does. But what it does lines up better because it always wins when it does its thing. Right. And Tron always wins in fair games of Magic. Right. So, but that being said, at GP Vegas... I watched Autumn and uh, Caroline both beat uh, KCI and just, like, they just did it, right? Like, they, they were like, well, I can't win if I don't have Karn. So this hand has, like, Tron and Ulamog. Well, I'm sorry, Tron and Wormcoil. But I'm going to try and mulligan because I don't have, like, an Ancient Strings or a way to find Karn. Right. And it's like, all right, this hand has Karn, Ancient Strings, two Tron pieces, and a star. This is what I need. Right. right? Like, I can play a Wormcoil on three and just die. Or I can try and play a Karn on three and minus, minus. Right. Play another Karn, minus, Right. And so they're like things that you have to try to play to win. And when you're down in a matchup, that's what you need to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're playing Infect versus KCI, it's like, well, I'm on the play. This is a turn three hand on the play. I have to hope that's quick enough. Right. Right. But it's like if you look at your hand, it's like a turn five hand. It's like no chance. 
right. got a mulligan. Yeah, and I think that plays into you know a couple of different things. So like what we're talking about with perception now, and then what we also talked about with like mulliganing last week's episode Mm -hmm. you know about like when you're having a hand and it's not just you have lands and spells or going on autopilot but like do you have a plan to win you know with perception that matters a lot too and it's that you can't just go on to autopilot when you're playing those bad matchups like you got to come in with some kind of a different approach yeah exactly and you have to be having the approach that yes the matchup is bad but what can i do to make it good right Right? because there are very few matchups in magic that are 90 10 or 100 zero right like i would say the only one that comes close is soul sisters versus burn but, like, even then, you have skull cracks and stuff post-board. Right. Right. Like, it's hard, but you can do it, and I've seen it happen. Yeah. And or game one dredge against anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Whatever. Right? But, like, that's another thing, too, right? It's like, you're a Jund deck versus dredge. It's like, what can I do to win? Right. You know? And th- those kind of things matter. Look for that scoos. Look for that scoos. Look for that cage, right? Yeah. Like, mulligan. If your hand's like, discard spell Bob Liliana, it's like... That ain't it, Chief. Just skip it. <laughs> yeah. So I think when it comes to those things, and I know this is kind of awkward because, like, at one point in the podcast, we're talking about, like, the way you view things in the world and we're talking about magic. But like we say in the podcast a lot, and at least you and I say, is that, like, magic reflects life and these skills transfer over to both. Right. right? And when you focus on the negative in magic and you're focusing on the negative things like, this matchup's bad, I can't win. It's Tron versus Jund. It's like, well... Jadeen says that matchup's good. Do you play more Jun than Jadeen? Like, there's got to be something to it, right? Where right. I, I should say green, black versus Tron. But, like, et cetera, right? Like, you need to, like, think about things in a positive way and look to win. Because these things are winnable. Right. And that's one of the reasons that we talk about this as well on the, like, New Year's Day episode. Right? There's a reason that, like, making New Year's resolutions are, is or a tradition that something has carried on for as many years as it's carried on. is because that people recognize that the idea of, like, perception and actualization and verbalizing what your goals are and then putting action to those goals is something that will put you farther along in what it is that you're doing and that if you surround yourself with negativity or you approach these things with negativity that that's going to also bleed through the rest of your life and it's also going to bleed through to your game right and so it's that kind of general thing of like if you want to try to have this success and you want to try to do well then you've got to try to put these things in a positive light and not come in just thinking that it's going to go bad yeah i want so i think some people are going to be out there and they're like well, just because I'm like negative in my life doesn't mean I'm negative when it comes to magic. Magic is the thing I love, right? But how many times have you seen someone who's mad and play a bad game of magic? All the time. All the time. Happens so much. Yeah. And so the same thing happens when you're being negative and you get put in these bad situations. Because when the situ- if you think of things in a negative context, so here's a little brain lesson. Your brain learns and is really good at like learning to do things, right? And creating patterns and recognizing pattern recognition. So when your brain builds a pattern of being negative, right? It doesn't matter until you're negative again. So for example, if you're negative all the time, but you only play against good matchups, this might not be a thing you talk about. But the days when you play against the bad matchups, right. that's when it's going to trigger because your brain's like, when negative, think like this, right? Right, Because it, it's very good at firing off quickly and yes or no patterns and forming that behavior. So when it when you see turn one map, right? And you're like, I okay you, right? Your brain goes straight to that negative context. And yeah. those kind of things can really hold you back. Yeah, and then you you start to spiral, right? You have that negative approach there, then you have another negative experience, then you start to tilt, and then you're on a spiral throughout the course of the tournament. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like this is, it's a little bit off, but not entirely, but this is a good point to say. It's one of the best pieces of magic advice I ever got from anyone the entire time I was playing. It was from Turk. And it was, I was in a negative place following a match, and it was a similar thing of a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. And he said, what's the worst thing that happens when you play a game of magic? Like, the absolute worst thing that happens. You got to play a game of magic which is a game that you love 
and you got to come here and play it with your friends. That's the absolute worst case scenario. That's as bad as it gets. And it's like, that completely changed my entire approach to the game. And I think that that's something that like plays into what it is that we're talking about. Once you realize that, once you realize that the floor is so high, right? Yeah. Like that, is, <laughs> that, that like as bad as it gets is such a good thing. Because this is something that we use to escape from a lot of things from life. This is something that we look at as a place where we can go and have fun and have this safety and all these other kinds of things. And that once you realize that that's the bad, that that's as bad as it gets, is that you get to do that, then why do you have all of this other negativity and things that you bring associated with it? Yeah, 100%. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and it's something that, you know, I think that people real like don't realize they're doing and don't realize it. But if you ask them in the moment, they're gonna, that would be the thing they said, right? But because they're not cognitively thinking about it, it changes for them. Right. I think this happens with matchups too, where like people get paired against control decks, right? And they hate playing against control. Right. And they like they give up and they resign and they're miserable the whole time. Right. Instead of being like, how can I make this miserable for them almost, right? Like what can I do to make it so that they're not happy with how the game's playing out? Yeah. And it's a huge thing. And it's the like kind of the the wrap up here and saying we've been talking about that having really saying and that this is something if you know me. You're about to know what I'm about to say here. And this is perception is reality. Yeah. And what that means is, is the way that you perceive things and the way you view the world is your reality. So I'm going to give kind of an extreme example, but go along with me for a second here, right? If you view that dogs are evil, right? Because it's something that happened to you earlier in life. Your view on dogs is dogs are bad, right? If a dog bites you when you're younger and you become scared of dogs and then like another dog like growls at you, right? When you're a kid. You get this perception that dogs are bad and you develop a fear of dogs and you hate dogs, right? But for most people, that doesn't happen. So their perception is dogs are great. What? Right. We got Horton over here. We got Egg Roll over here, right? It's a dog. Dogs are awesome. We love them. Those right? are the official podcast pups. Yeah. Merch coming soon. Uh, <laughs> regardless though, right? Like those kind of things, that's just kind of an example, right? And I think this plays out not only in magic, but in life in general. And the way that you perceive things really does affect your world your gameplay, and honestly, your happiness. Well, and it gets into a thing, right? Like, we've seen that in Modern with Tron, yeah. right? Like, Tron is the... Is Tron is the, so good for examples. <laughs> and Tron is really good for examples. Like, you know, Tron is the demon of the format, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's cool to hate Tron. It's like, oh, yeah, Tron, Tron, Tron. And it's like, there are times when Tron wasn't even particularly that great in the metagame that it had this still bigger place in it because it had this perception of it's the evil deck and it's like well if it's the evil deck it must be the best deck and if it's the best deck then it must be something that we should be playing mm -hmm. and it's like there were times that, that wasn't even true and you know and it's like but because it's the boogeyman of the format at the time and yeah. still it's still a fun thing that people like to say then it created this inflated position for the deck in the format but at another time it might not have been true 100 percent, yeah and i think the thing i have an example of that in my own life where when I first started playing Magic, so I don't like the Infect mechanic as a mechanic. Sure. I also think the Infect deck is inherently flawed. I think there are a lot of problems with the Infect that make it risky to choose at times. And I think it's overselected, but I think there are times when it's great. Like, I right. thought it was great for GP Atlanta. Don't think it's great now. Right. Things change and evolve with Infect, right? So for me, I think I used to really hate Infect. And it was unfun to play against, right? And this is the thing that I see a lot of people do. Now, I don't enjoy playing against Infect, right? But... I try and focus on what I can do to win those games, and I try and focus on how to put them in corners and pockets, mm -hmm. right? And what can I do to make it awkward for them and make them have to go for it and then get got? That was that, and it helped me, right? Or a thing where I like wasn't beating Infect to like now I'm you know pretty even against Infect and what should be bad matchups. 
So we, we've been talking about this a lot and how it affects like your tournament play or how it affects like, you know, approaching things in like matchups and with people and everything else. How does, how does this play into it when you're talking about like card evaluation for a format? Um, I think it's super important. When it comes to perceiving cards too, this happens a lot. So let's look at right now. We're, we're on the eve, honestly, of spoilers starting for <laughs> Guilds of Ravnica Allegiance, right? Yeah. Uh, or Allegiance is a Ravnica, whatever, it doesn't matter. The new set. Yeah. And it's then, tough to keep all the Ravnica names straight because there are so many Ravnica names. We should yeah. probably go to Lorwyn and then it would be fine. <laughs> no joke. I think we're going to go to Lorwyn in three I'm months. very excited about three, it. I think three months or three sets from now we're going to Lorwyn. I've never understood why that set was not more popular. Anyway. <laughs> Complexity is hard. We can talk about this later. <laughs> we talked about this a lot. It's not a great set. It's a lot of flaws. But regardless... So when we're talking about card evaluation, right? If you look at things, you frame things in a negative context. And this happens all the time. Let's And I kind of fell for this with the last set uh, when it came out. But it was like Bolas and Teferi are obviously the most powerful things. And to be fair, they are some of the most powerful cards in standard. And as it turned out, Teferi is kind of one of them. But Bolas wasn't, right? And also AT, Assassin's Trophy. Right. So those three things really framed my context for the format, right? And it was like, how am I supposed to win games? Because if I go too fair... Then uh, they can play Teferi, and they can just wait to counter my ATs, and they'll take over the game. And then if I'm, like, too slow and dirtily, then they're going to, like, bolus me. All the while, I'm getting pressured from AT because green-black's obviously great, right? right? What I didn't take time to step back and do is, okay, but how can I beat all of those things? Like, as best I can and pressure them, right? right? And I think the white-red deck does a great job of doing that. Where it's, like, it's low to the ground, it's aggressive, and while it has problems against Teferi decks, it clocks them quick enough to makes them have it, right? And it has ways to rebuild. So all those things are ways to beat things. But when I was looking at the set, that wasn't what mattered to me. What mattered was I was thinking about things in a negative context. I was like, but you can't beat these three things, so how are you going to do things? Right. And instead of thinking, like, how can we problem solve this? Which is kind of like what we talk about in the game. Yeah, and, and if you take that approach, then you start to evaluate cards and look at cards that you might not have just dismissed right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Of being like, well, these don't fit in the paper, rock, scissors environment that I quickly set up for myself. And yeah. since those don't fit the pattern, then I'll just skip past them. Because I'm just trying to move through. Exactly. But like thinking about cards like I think Star of Extinction is like a great example from this last standard format. Because that was a card that was on zero people's radar, right? Right. And some people realize like Star beats everything in green black. Yeah. Just straight up, it is what you want. And it even sometimes beats their second thing because you sometimes hit a folly. Right. Right? So it's like that is a card that has then changed the context of the metagame dramatically. And the people that played Star the first weekend that way was popular had a huge edge on everyone else. It was... It was because they're playing a completely different game. They're basically playing a week ahead of everyone. <laughs> right. Also, that card is just super fun to cast. <laughs> yeah, that, that card is super fun to cast. It's also a huge flavor one. It's, a, it's honestly a great card that probably got printed as like a safeguard against like dinosaurs. Right. It turned out to be pivotal to the format. Like imagine this format without Star for a second. Yeah. It's terrible. I mean, <laughs> if you've ever cast it to kill a Carnage Tyrant, the flavor wins are very big. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. And then they can't cast the next Carnage Tyrant sometimes, which is sick. Um, but regardless, right, like... I think when you're looking at cards, just in general, with the perception, not even just spoilers, trying to look at things positively is good. Now, I remember, this is a lesson I learned a long time ago, but I kind of forgot the last season, if I'm being honest. So I remember Brad Nelson was on the couch with Marshall Sutcliffe and Joel Larson at the PAX for Kaladesh. And they just re- released, like, I want to say Smuggler's Copter and, like, PNLR. Well, not, it was uh, Paula, right? right yeah, and he was yeah. talking about how, like, this card could be really good. And Marshall kind of threw, like, the... Because, like, Marshall's very good at, like, throwing questions to them, right? And he goes, like, yeah, but that card's, like, a 3-man 3-3 that, like, kind of does something. And Brad basically said, listen, I can tear any card down. I can make any card seem bad. Right. My job is to figure out, can that card actually be good? 
Right. And so and I need to think about what I can do to make that card good. And I think that's important. I think that's something that kind of Brian and Jerry talked about in the game podcast with the last set review too, right? With the last set drop, they're like, make 50 decks with cards. And that's something that I didn't do like the whole 50, but I tried to make other cards and things and right. But I didn't do it the right way, which I think is an important thing to loop around too, of having to make sure you're doing things the right way when you're having a perception change and a kind of a paradigm change, honestly. Yeah. And, and something to go along with all of this that we're talking about is that, you know, these things are not necessarily easy to do or instinctual to do, mm-hmm. right? The, the instinctual thing to do are all of the bad habits that we've been talking about. And so these are things that you have to work at. And it's also important to, when you are working at it and continuing to try to move forward with it, to not beat yourself up when you do it wrong, right? But to recognize and acknowledge that you did something that was not fitting in with where it is you're trying to be or what it is that you're trying to do, and then just keep pushing forward towards the goal. Right. And because you're just you're you're allowing the negativity to come in about the fact that you let negativity. Right. So I think that it's important as well to do that of just like not beating yourself up if you fall short on something. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to wrap it up to remind yourself that it's a marathon, not a race. Right. Right. This one tournament doesn't define you. This one game where you let negativity creep in this one matchup where you let the fact you're playing Seth Manfield creep in. Right. Like just because you let that stuff happen doesn't mean you're a failure. And it doesn't mean you're bad or anything like that, right? Like, last night, I played a game of League of Legends with a friend. Uh, and beforehand, he was like, I just lost four games in a row in Injustice. I don't think I'm that bad. And I was like, just because you lost doesn't mean you're bad. Right. It just means you lost. Right. <laughs> like, right? It's just like, did you get better? Did you learn something? Did you have fun? Like, there's a lot of things you can get from that. It doesn't mean you're, you suck. Right. Right? Well, and additionally, too, like, the, one of the things I think that we're kind of dancing around here is talking about, like, the way that you establish your self-worth. Yeah. And that... Uh, Like, you have this thing that you care about so much. And so, as a result of that, you feel like if it's not going well, that you have to care about that so much that it angers you or it upsets you. And that if you don't do that, then you're not really caring about it. Right? Yeah. And all you're doing is setting yourself up for a really hard place to be. And you're setting up something that should be fun and joyful and that you love and take a lot of enjoyment from. And making it something that's also just as much of a a part of your grind as a lot of the other things that bring you down. And that, you know... Making this something that is fun and approachable and not something that you tie up like the way that you perceive yourself or the, your value is something that I think can go a long way because it's something that I see a lot of people struggle with, honestly. They're like, I care about this, so if I lost, I have to get mad. And mm-hmm. it's like, you don't, you know, like just that's fine. Like we know you care about it. You play it all the time. You put in a lot of work and everything else. You don't have to prove it to other people and you don't have to prove it to yourself. I, I agree 100%. I think that's going to wrap us up for our main topic. I hope they didn't come off too preachy. I had a big fear of that happening. Um, but I, I hope that you guys perceived it <laughs> in a way that was helpful and not like that. Because it's something that, you know, we're always working on. And it's something you have to stay on top of, you know. Like, Trey got very negative on himself when he missed, especially the second Pro Tour. Yeah. And honestly, you know, like, didn't I, I wasn't helpful in that situation. It was a thing where I kept pointing out more and more mistakes to him, right? But I felt the moment it had to be done. But, like, I probably could have done that better. And I could have framed things in a more positive light for Trey. And so it's something we're always working on. Trey, if someone wants to reach out to you and say that, I don't believe in the thinking, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, you can always uh, troll me at TreyMC on Twitter. Uh, it's probably the easiest place to try to find me. Yep. If you want to find me and say, man, what a sultry voice you have, <laughs> you can tweet at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash TheMasonClark. I've been streaming a lot of arena grinding. Had some fun over the holidays. It's been fun. You can also find me on Facebook, Mason Clark. I'm everywhere that baby. If you figured out the magic trick that Trey did during the show, tweet at Even Odds Pod. That is our Twitter account. 
whenever we do an episode, or normally when we do an episode, I'll kind of tweet something that kind of hints at the episode to kind of get what people are thinking at or get people in that mindset. So if you want a sneak peek of things, go follow the Evenots Pod on Twitter. I'll also retweet it a bunch so you know. If you follow me, you'll get there. Trey, the network. Yes. It's important. It is. They've been very kind to us. They're very kind. They're super helpful. It's a new year. And honestly, now that we've gotten rid of the evil Seth Mansfield, his evil twister, you know, twin, Seth Mansfield's great on the podcast. John Stern's great on the podcast. Constructive Criticism. It's the name of the network. It's the flagship show. You should really be listening to it. John Stern, Seth Mansfield, Hall of Famer, and a pro's pro, a gold pro. You know, I say it every time because it, honestly, it means so much to me. John is so good at magic and people don't talk about John. Right. It blows my mind. Just <laughs> listen to him talk and tell me you don't think he's good. You're a psycho, right? He's so good at magic and he approaches it so well and so methodically. And he really, I, I've heard, you know, I'll brag on him behind the scenes. I heard he, like they both do, but he's always one of making sure that he's giving the best to the listeners, right? So if he feels like he doesn't understand something, he wants to talk about it before they go on the air. And that's huge. I've, I've worked with things and situations where people are like, oh, we'll just wing it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. We'll do it live. We'll do it live, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it isn't a bad thing. It's a thing where he cares so much with the listeners, and I think you have to go give that show a chance, you know? And I, there's, everyone talked about Seth Manfield. He's amazing. Don't think I don't love you, Seth. Uh, you can also check out Common Knowledge. It's a show about Popper. MTGO is still around, right? Mm-hmm. Popper's cheaper than ever on there recently. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, the format gets you to the Magic Fest still. Like, that hasn't changed. Right. And if you love Popper, I honestly think a Popper GP is coming. It's just a matter of when. And that's a good way to get on top of the format. And the format's a lot of fun to play with your friends. Those guys kill it over there. Check them out. You can also check out Homeward Path. It's a show about an MTG dad. It's a, it's a very interesting show because he does it on his way home. See, Homeward Path. Oh, I see. It's not just a clever name. Yeah. It is a clever name. It's yeah. not just. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, but he, he covers a wide different variety of things, and you should definitely check out the show. Um, and then finally, Trey, Happy New Year. Happy All New Year, holiday. Thanks for rolling with us. All right, everyone. So this is the end episode here, and I'm going to sell Trey on this game. Because I've started playing this new game. It's called Slay the Spire. It's not really new. It turns out it's a year old, but it's new to me. I found it during the Steam Summer Sale, and Trey wanted me to talk about it with him, but he thought it might be also fun to share at the end of the podcast. So. Trey, do you know what a roguelike is? A roguelike? That's right. Roguelikes are a type of game where if you die, you reset, but there are some minor passive things that are stay with you that progress all the way. Oh, this is like my favorite, Dead Cells. Exactly. Dead Cells is a great roguelike, and if you like those kind of games, Metrovania is like Metroid Castlevania is another type of name for this genre. If you like those games, you should definitely check out Dead Cells, and Slay the Spire is a card game version of that. So do you think the people that like listen to this show might like card games? I think they might love card games. Okay. Keyforge. Uh, <laughs> regardless, you know, uh, Slay the Spire is a deck building game. So what happens is much like Ascension or any DC deck building like that, you start with some basic attacks and some blocks, right? And as you beat monsters and you work your way through the dungeon, you upgrade your deck, right? So like you'll beat a monster and you get like 10 gold and it'll give you like three cards and you pick one to add to your deck. And you build your deck that way and if you die, you lose everything and you have to restart with your character, right? But you work your way through these dungeons, and you beat these monsters, and you get level ups, and you get like items. So it's like every time I play three three or less cards a turn, I'll draw two cards for the next turn, right? So it's like, oh, I might want that if I have a bunch of things that cost a lot of mana. But then you might be like, oh, if I play, I might want the shuriken, where it's like if I play more than three spells in a turn, right, then I do extra damage on the fourth spell or something like that. So that's kind of what Slay the Spire is. It's like 
interesting deck building roguelike mashup. And so is it a turn-based thing where you like you have a, a guy, an avatar, or whatever, and yes. you're fighting against monsters, and you do that by casting cards? Exactly. So the way it works is you draw a hand, and then there are monsters, and you can see the health bar, and you can actually... Uh, Eventually, you can get runes that get rid of it if you want. But the, it starts off where you can see what move they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So you'd be like, all right, they're going to block for 10 or they're going to hit me for 10, right? And so you have your cards and you have mana and you play all your cards. And then, like, they happen as you play them, just like any deck building game, right? And then it passes the turn to them and they do what they're going to do. But sometimes it's a bit more, amb- like, amb- uh, ambiguous? Ambiguous. Ambiguous, thank you. Yeah. Where it's like, they're going to do something negative to you is what it says. Like, as you get later. And it's like, oh, are they going to hit me? Are they going to stun me? Are they going to put a debuff on me? All that different kind of stuff. Are they going to insult your new haircut? Wow. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, you know, those kind of things are what happen with the game. So, it's it's just a fun game. And there are three different classes. And they each have different cards. And they play differently, right? So, like, I beat the game once with, like, the bruiser. But, like, now I'm trying to beat it with the poison guy. Who's, like, all about blocking and, like, killing them slowly. Where the Bruce is like all about just hitting them as fast as you can. So, it's a super fun game. I highly suggest it. It's on sale right now on Steam. It's also on the Switch. Woo! I thought about buying it for the Switch so I could play it in bed. That's how good it is. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening and roll with us next week.